Today, we have one of those great industry digital health superstars that we all like to hear from. Uh, if, if you ever want to look at a cool LinkedIn profile, this is one of those guys you want to go see. Uh, he's entrepreneur. He's a medical doctor. He's a medical director in the past. He's a longstanding physician informaticist. And if all that's not enough, he just decided to start his own company uh, and help people with the really hard issues in, in the world. And so it is with an absolute pleasure that we introduce Sonny Hare. He is the CEO and president of Remedy Health Solutions. Welcome to our Leader to Leader podcast. Thank you, Russ. I'm, I'm, I'm so uh, happy and grateful to be here. Well, first and foremost, uh, we're kind of in a crazy world. COVID craziness calms down a little back on the roller coaster ride, back up again. How are you? How are your family? How, are, how is your team doing during these, these absolutely kind of cra crazy year, days we're living in? Uh, it has been crazy. I mean, it's going back to February and March. And, uh, you know, from a, from a family standpoint, I, I almost feel like it's been a little bit of a blessing in disguise getting to, I got two, two young boys, two and one, um, and getting the, the ability to spend the time that I got to spend with them, I, I don't believe would have happened um, if COVID hadn't happened, which is, which is taking, a, taking a positive out of all the negative. Um, and and it's, it's, been, it's been good. And then the other portion of it is my, uh, we bought a house across the street from my parents. And so we didn't have to worry about uh, not seeing them or going that lengthy time that a lot of people did with their families. So it was it was just everyone just going back and forth and and keeping it just to that that portion of it so it's it's been good the family is good um i'm sure everyone is is done with it just like the rest of the world um especially with it it coming back the way it's coming back right now uh but overall everyone is good and we have a, a 99 year old grandmother that uh, lives with us as well and so that has been the the ultimate kind of precautionary uh, steps that we've been taking to make sure that she is good. And I think that's what's kept us all good. Well, you know, I mentioned in your introduction, you know, if there's an interesting person you want to look at their, their profile, it's uh, you out on LinkedIn. And so I've gotten to know you a little bit. You got little ones at home. You did medis medical school overseas where you had to learn a foreign language. You have multiple foreign languages. You've done all this. Tell us kind of about how you got to this point and a couple of those cool little facts along the way. So it's, it, it is a, an interesting ride. I, uh, I, I, was, I was born and raised in Houston. Um, and, you know, my parents came from, from India in 78. In and so then I was born in Houston. And I, when I turned 17, instead of going to the normal University of Texas or Texas A&M, I uh, actually ended up going out to Europe. Um, hungry to be exact. So I left at, uh, I left at 17, uh, did my undergrad there as well as uh, started my medical school there. Um, was there for about five and a half years. And then from there, then you transition over to the States where you do your rotations. Um, and I ended up in Chicago. And um, from Chicago, I ended up, you know, doing my training out there. <clears throat> and then I started this kind of uh, this healthcare IT space back in almost, almost 10 years ago maybe more, 11 now, sorry. Um, and, and it was interesting because it was, I was just looking on a locum tenens website and, 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 and looking for a contract shift. And it was, it was a hospital in, in, in California, Beverly Hills saying, we're looking for 40 attendings to come provide support for an epic rollout. I was like, this sounds interesting. 
let me uh, let me see what this is about. And I feel like after that is where all this kind of uh, kind of led to um, this entire informatics, EMR, um, and 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 where we sit today, and where, why why I kind of was able to create something like Remedy. Um, I know usually it's difficult for me to tell um, you know people what companies I work for, but this being Chime, I started my career with a company called Encore. Um, I moved over to a company called Clinovations, which then I was part of Clinovations when they were acquired by the advisory board company. And right before advisory board company was acquired by Optum, I, I, I started Remedy. And so I feel like everyone that's, that's part of Chime is pretty familiar with those company names. Wow. That, I mean, that's just absolutely incredible. So you speak Hungarian, Hindi, and English? I do. I speak Hungarian. I learned Hungarian while I was uh, in Hungary. And I actually speak Punjabi, which is a dialect of Hindi. And right, so right. that is uh, that is what my parents uh, spoke. So I actually learned Punjabi before I learned English. So even though I was born here, I think I was in ESL to about second grade to a teacher finally asked uh, why I was in ESL, which was funny. But English was a second language for the first uh, first couple of years of elementary for me. But I think the the adoption or the thought process for my parents were let's let's teach him this language because he's going to learn English. I mean that's crazy. I have enough trouble with English. I can't imagine two other languages. I would <laughs> break out different words in a whole sentence and no one would ever understand. Especially when I came out of Texas, people under, didn't understand me real well there either. So that's fine. Hey, let's <laughs> let's talk a little bit about remedy. What what is remedy? Sounds like a medicine. That's not what it is. What 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 is remedy? Well, I think I think remedy is kind of what we were we were the name kind of served what it was, and it was it was how do we provide a remedy for for the providers who are struggling with with the with EHRs and with all the changes, whether it be regulatory or whether it be um, <clears throat> or whether it be uh, reimbursements and things like that. Um, so our core team is really based on MDs. Um, a lot of our physicians have, have clinical backgrounds as well as consulting backgrounds. So my background being from advisory board and Optum, most of the physicians that we work with or, or work with us now have that similar type of background. <clears throat> the premise behind it was, was essentially made up of how do we make physicians' lives easier? And I think something being that we're on the consulting side of things, when we look at hospitals, they actually only have one billable resource. And by that, I meaning there's only one person that can put a CPT code in. And that's usually <clears throat> one of the, the clinicians, providers, mid-levels, whatever it may be. So how do we want to, we want to form something that would cater to that group specifically. Um, and we believe that most IT initiatives within the hospital should be a clinically driven IT project. And I think that was kind of the premise of where Remedy kind of came about and what Remedy wanted to do. Very niche, very toward the physician type of uh, piece for these projects. So if, if I understood the facts correctly, everybody else is sending everybody home as COVID's launching. You brought everybody into an office at the exact same time. Oh, yes. I think we're the only one in the world that did this. Uh, <laughs> this was... <laughs> This was a uh, this was a, a different choice, and 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 so I remember talking with uh, with our team, 
and and saying this is what I'm thinking we should do what do you think um and everyone kind of looked at me a little bit crazy and this was obviously looking by being on zoom um and and it it just something we knew that the only way we could continue moving forward as a as as not only a company but getting the hospitals what they need during this time we had to make a change and and so we we built out this virtual command center and you know 18,000 square feet in the city of Houston and 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 you know brought in a bunch of computers got everyone set up we made sure everything was kind of uh, was was meeting the CDC guidelines from a social distancing from the protocol that we took from getting everything cleaned from just just everything the, the just we try to replicate what Massachusetts does just because we found that Massachusetts happens to be the strictest state on these things and uh we did that. We brought people into the office instead of sending people home to work from home. The exact opposite. And you did all that and how many got COVID? None. Zero. We wow. had zero COVID cases and our, our two of our, uh, we had everyone have COVID tests beforehand and after. Um, so the last remaining two members on our team just went to go get COVID tested today. Um, and so fingers crossed, we'll find out probably before this podcast ends that they're hopefully were negative. That's awesome. I mean, it just, all right, for all of our listeners out there, call Sonny, find out how he did it. If you really want to keep your teams in their offices and that kind of stuff. I know some of you uh, were ready to bring people back, but it looks like we're going to be extended remote for quite a while. So, but Sonny will give you all the answers. I know he will. He's a, he's a great guy to share like that. So not only did you do that, the reason you brought them in was to essentially support a gigantic remote go live at the exact same time, which you had also never done. That's correct. Tell that us about that correct. experience of trying to manage something so complex, hands-on support, and you did it remote. So I think the 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 premise was was we've we've seen it, we've been involved with it for such a long time. How do we improve on it? And, and when we started going through this process, it was, we wanted to make sure that we were not a help desk model. That was kind of something that we kept talking about. We don't want someone to pick up a phone. We don't want someone to, to call in an ant or a question. How do we make this real time? How do we make this real time? How do we make it feel like somebody is there? Um, and so we went through the steps and the processes of, of, of going and creating this and, 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 and making it as personal as we could. Now, I believe COVID, that physicians got accustomed because of COVID using telehealth, using Zoom, using Teams, whatever they were using at their hospitals, it gave us that ability to push this through. And, and so what we did was we, we, got, we got a bunch of tablets, like it just a lot of tablets, and we, we sent it out to the client and strategically placed them in various spots in the clinic and hospitals. Um, and from there, it gave our support in Houston, the ability to actually be seen and talking and having conversations with the end user. And that was one of the big premises behind this. How do we still grow that relationship? Because they're gonna be with them for two, three, four weeks, whatever it may be. Um, and then the second part of it was, how do we give leadership a bird's eye view on exactly what's going on in each one of these clinics or each one of these departments? And we were able to essentially gather every single data piece. 
who, 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 who was from an end user standpoint, what their name was, what their question was, what their problem was, how to get resolved, was there a ticket put in, et cetera. And, and when, we, when we run these reports, we could look at, here's six clinics that you didn't hear anything from, and you'll see what they were, being, what they were doing from a utilization standpoint. Here's three clinics that we were hearing the most complaints about, and now we know exactly why they were complaining. Um, and, and, and the leadership at this hospital loved the fact that we were handing them these reports because it really pinpointed what we had to take, what they needed to do and what they needed to take care of. And I think that was the biggest thing. It was, once again, we were using data on a daily basis to drive how we wanted to set up the, the, the next day's support and the next day's support and the next day's support. Wow. And you know, obviously, nobody's going back to anything, at least quite yet. But, you know, there's promise for vaccine. There's promise for some other stuff. Let's just say from the virus perspective, things normalized out a little bit. The vaccine was available. Do you think you will go back to 100% on-prem, on-premise? You will go stay 100% virtual, some kind of hybrid in between? What do you think of the future looks like for the model that you've created? I think, well, definitely not 100%. It, there, I don't see a reason for it. Um, I think a hybrid model, and, and a hybrid model was something that we kind of did at the last client. And the hybrid model was that our physicians were on the ground um, and, 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 and supporting whether it be the clinics or whether it be the hospital. Our actual support was in Houston. And I think that's a model that we'll keep because of the fact that sometimes things happen and, and I called that team the physician crisis management team. Um, and, and we needed them to kind of be there. And, 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 and just so, you know, for any particular reason, people want to, everyone thinks, I think the best analogy I heard was the backup quarterback is always better. And I felt like the, the team on site was the backup quarterback. Um, and I don't see us going back. I think this is, this is what it is the future. This is what it should be. Not only are we taking away um, an influx of people coming from all over the country. We're actually getting data that shows what's happening on a daily basis that I think was never provided before. Um, and then the, the other part is, it's just so much cheaper for hospitals to do it this way. And, and you have this significant amount of cost that gets cut, not only from an expense standpoint, but all of a sudden we have five different, you know, five geographical locations for sites for a system. And they need maybe a little bit of support at each one. The old model was we got to send five people out there and let, you know, people sit around and answer questions, things like that. The new model is we just need one person and there's five tablets across the board. And now they have access to them whenever they need it, whenever they want it. So I can't see us going back to the old way. Well, there's no doubt it won't be anytime soon, even if you wanted to a little bit with what seems to be happening around the country. Now, one of the things you did to make that work is you stood up your own virtual command center for them. So tell us what your virtual command center is and what its primary purpose was. So for, for this uh, project that just happened, the primary purpose was as much as we wanted people to be at home and, 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 and work from home, because this was more or less in our eyes, the first of its kind, um, we needed to essentially have a little bit more control on what was happening and how we could essentially manage this amount of uh, people and this amount of uh, end users. So, yeah, we, I still laugh when I think about it because it's, uh, 
uh, we did this in a pandemic um, where we, we, we found the right space. We found what we needed from a size standpoint. And luckily we live in Texas. Um, so that saying is true. Everything is bigger in Texas. Uh, we were able to find a, a large, uh, large space that would accommodate exactly the number of people we were looking for. And so we were looking for about 110 um, kind of people to be, be set up. We, and, and it was quick to get all the, the computers and get all the softwares that was needed, but it was the space that was very, very key for us. And, and once we were able to lock that down, we had this command center up and running in about a six week period. And, and did you run that 24 seven or was it, was it? Uh, we ran it, no, it was not 24 seven. It was, it was 12 hours a day. And then there was some support that was 24 uh, seven, but it wasn't, it was, those folks were actually doing that from home. So the actual command center itself was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Which for, for the, for Massachusetts, it was 7 p.m., 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. So, so. Obviously, this organization, Massachusetts, did very, very well um, during this virtually and was successfully able to go live. You know, what would be your recommendation for some of these organizations that say, you know, I'm just going to hold back right now because we can't get people on site. We can't get doing I mean, obviously, you've proven you can do this virtually, but what are the things they should consider when maybe considering doing this virtually? Um, I think this, and, and this is exactly why it came about. We were, we were having this conversation with, with our client of, we can't postpone. Um, you've already made the investment. <clears throat> and this is coming from the client standpoint, not remedy standpoint. Um, what, and, and, and they came to us and said, what can we do to actually still make this happen in October? They had already postponed from June. They were looking at postponing from October. And, and, they, and you know, we came back with them. This is what we're thinking. And you know, Boston being a little bit more progressive than most, they're always looking to, to do things and, and, and be that beta kind of test site and things like that. They gave us the green light. So very blessed that, that we had a client that trusted us, that believed us and let us do this. Um, when I look now at what we were able to do and, and we had a lot of lessons learned and we had a lot of, uh, a lot of things that we see that we can we, we thought worked exactly how we want to work. And then some things we know we can improve on and some things we were like, hey, we don't need this next time. I think if people are actually looking at this, this is the model that should be happening with or without a pandemic. Um, I think the amount of information and analytics that's collected is second to none. There's just value on that by itself. The second thing we learned is we don't need the amount of resources that was needed before. We just don't. Um, we, we are definitely on the end of, of, of quality versus quantity. And that was our thought process behind it. How far can we kind of push this threshold on <clears throat> support versus a, uh, the ratio of support versus end users? And I feel like we succeeded at that. And I feel like the model and the number that we have is far better than what we had thought. And so when I look at hospitals or CIOs that are looking to make this decision, I don't think they should postpone. I think they should do this model. And I just read on LinkedIn uh, yesterday that Oshner, which, which you know, we, we don't have any working relationship with them. Uh, they did a similar model to what we did uh, in an upgrade and they did it internally. So the fact that Oshner did it and, and, and kind of replicated or not replicated, they, they thought of it at the same time we did. 
it gave us, um, you know, you know, a little bit of excitement and a little bit of like, you know, we've never talked with this institution. They've never talked with us, but both of us came up with the same idea and both of us did it at the same time. Wow. Well, I, I think it is during tough times like this leaders lead and you all figured this out and that's leadership. That's quite impressive. And, you know, to that point, one of the things that, I mean, obviously you are a significant innovative leader and even of yourself in the fact that all the things that you've done along the way, going to medical school, you know, practicing, then all the different steps along and now entrepreneur, CEO, running your own company, you know, that requires you to constantly be on your best and your top of your game. How do you personally view growth and how do you make sure you're the best you can be? Um, yeah, so, so for, for me personally growing as a leader is just to continuously, one is read. I, I, I end up reading, listen to podcasts like, like the one we're on today, which to me is a, it's, it is, is a good feeling that I've been listening to these podcasts and now I actually get to be someone that participates in it. Um, these are the, these are the things that help me grow and continue to stay in front of what is happening in our industry. Um, and another thing that my, my, my regimen has completely changed from what it used to be five years ago to what it is now. And I don't know if it was the, the factor of having kids. I don't know if it was the factor of starting your own company, but then actually running a company. Um, so my, my, my routine is still, I, I have to get up for me to get everything accomplished. I have to get up by five 30 in the morning and I, I have to work out. That's a huge part of my life. It's a huge part of my family. Um, and before I work, when I, by the time I finish working out, I can get ready real quick and my kids wake up. And usually I have a little bit of breakfast with the family, talk to them, have some jokes, let my wife have some adult conversations because she's the true champion. She, she put her career on pause to really take care of these boys and allow me to do what I wanted to do. Um, and from there, then I, I, I leave to the office. And, and so we have two offices. I have one in the city and one closer to home. Uh, I come to the one in the city and I spend about seven to eight hours here working with the team, taking any calls that we need to take. And I find myself leaving here about 4.30 to go home and be with the kids for about two, three hours. Uh, help my wife feed them, give them baths, give all that good stuff going. And, and when they go to sleep about 7, 7.30, I head back to the office around 8.30 p.m. Uh, usually work anywhere between one, you know, 8.30 to about 1 or 2 a.m., depending on what the day is. Wow. That is the only way I have figured out so far how to get everything accomplished that I want to. Family is a big part of, of, <clears throat> of one of our core values and, and, and I can't imagine not seeing them or spending a significant amount of time with them a day. So, so it's, it's what I love about that and we, we talk about that in our own internal mentorship class and our leadership programs that we teach. It's this concept of intentionality. If you are not intentional about it, you will be consumed by somebody else's intentions. And so I love that because you have your own thoughts, requirements. That's, that's absolutely great leadership that's there. Um, one of the things that's a great challenge, and obviously you can see it from your own perspective, you also see it running a company, is there's obviously a lot of not just social distress going on in our society today, but a really heightened awareness and, and appropriately so 
of inequities of programs of that that don't necessarily provide uh, the best opportunities for everybody that's there. And you are in one of the most interesting um, cities in the country. It's very very diverse. It's mm-hmm. not just Hispanic, black, white. It is all kinds of stuff. Houston's one of the most diverse cities in, in the nation. And so you running a company the way you do, I'd love to get your perspective on kind of workplace equalities, the things you're trying to deal with, because this is such an important topic in today's society. It is. It is. And it's uh, <clears throat> it's been a big one for, for a while. And, uh, and, and, you're, and you're spot on about Houston. Houston is the uh, I, I believe last I read most diverse, even more diverse than New York, which I thought was impossible. Um, and, and you, and, and now when you, when you, you see it and, and, and one of the things I always like to talk about is, is kind of a, a, my, my father's story about this. And my father, he came here in 1978 and started working for a company as a data processor in, in, I think it was 79 was when he started working for that company. And, and at the same time, he was working for Hertz as well. And, and that was his night job. And, and he would have to return cars back and forth. And you fast forward 20 years, my father became the president and CEO of that company and ran that company for another 15 years before he retired. And, and this was in the oil and gas industry, which is a lot different than healthcare. And so I was able to take all his core values and work ethics and implement them into what we were doing here. At, at Remedy. And so when we look over, our, our, our group is, is a very, very diverse group. And we feel like having that diversity, one being in Houston, but the other part, just you learn so much more. Different ideas come about and things like that. And, and I don't think it was something that we actually sat down and thought about. It all came into fruition. Um, on its own. And I think if you have that, that, that mindset and that kind of, if you're not looking for it, you'll be surprised what you get. Wow. And so, so as you approach this in the workplace uh, and, and especially a company like yours, cause you're, you're not, and, and I don't say this in any way, director, you're not a traditional consulting company, even though you do some of the same functions, you really have a niche. You, you probably are constantly looking for those people who want to do something a little bit differently what kind of people do you look for when you're looking for people on your team different backgrounds so we we're we're good on the md portion of it um we have a strong pool of physicians um one of the things that i when when i first started this company uh this is actually a funny story i, I brought my brother onto this company so my brother is a geophysicist by trade so you can only imagine what our parents were thinking when they had a, they had a, their, their eldest son was a physician who decided I'm not going to do clinical practice. I'm going into healthcare IT. And now they're, and now he's taking their younger son, who's a geophysicist by trade saying, Hey, I need help. Can you come over here? And all they thought we were doing was literally teaching doctors how to use a software. Um, and, and, you know, just uh, a few days ago, uh, there was an article printed in our local paper, Houston Chronicle about what Remedy was doing. And my folks being here for 40 plus years, the Chronicle is something they've read every single day. So they were very, very happy and very, very <laughs> proud about that. Um, and, and, you know, it made us feel good. And at least they were like, all right, they stopped asking us questions. They're like, all right, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> That's awesome. That's but our group, awesome. Is, our group consists of, of people with finance backgrounds, people from 
marketing backgrounds, um, people that have been just that have that have been involved also within the EHR space. And I think that was something with me being in this for 11 years, I was able to handpick some of these folks that I had seen that had done such a good job elsewhere and were just looking for the opportunity to finally do something a little bit more innovative, a little bit more different, but just bringing a lot of quality to each aspect. And I think that's what I love about our team. They've, they've been in this industry. Part of them have been in this industry. The other part are MDs. And then I have this group, this younger group, who just has the greatest ideas. And I feel like it's on us to be able to execute these ideas. Um, and, and so it's just, it's just a great group we have here. So obviously you're helping, you know, one of your primary targets is to help these physicians utilize the system, get more benefit and all these type of things. But we still just see this massive amount of literature, podcasts, entire conferences about physician burnout, about lack of usability, those type of things. As you look at that from an industry perspective and, and really what you all do is try to make this better is, do you think this is as the generations turn and nothing against any generation, it's just gonna become the norm and you know it'll just be what they do to do their jobs? Or do you just think this is in some cases, it has nothing to do with the generation, it's just bad training and or maybe bad software and, and we just need to get that side better. Where, where's the answer for at least today? I think it's a mix of both. I think when we look back, we, we did see training that wasn't uh, suffice. We saw, uh, limitations from a software standpoint, but then on the flip side, we see people that have adopted uh, to the software, um, understand what they want to do, and then are able to make those changes, either within their institution or if they can, you know, make it to the bigger vendors. But I think that was, it, it's a little bit, it's, it's both, it's both instances. And I know, I know the bigger vendors are, 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 uh, are, are trying to make these changes and trying to make the usability um, better, but I also think that there's a lack of knowledge on what the system can actually do. Wow. Well, a couple of more quick questions as our time's wrapping up here. Obviously, one of the things you're seeing from the front line working with these leaders and these physicians and organizations is that the technology is being adopted, digital health is a reality. And really, kind of the, the, the buzzword of the last few years has been. We're starting to innovate and transform. What do you personally kind of see that occurring in these next few steps, maybe 18, 24, 36 months? What do you see that looking like? So I think telehealth is here. I think we, it's, it's unfortunate that we needed a pandemic to get it started, but, but it is here. Um, the other thing that I would like to see and I feel like is a need is how does interoperability really gonna work amongst the different institutions? And how is this information gonna be seamless? Are we gonna see uh, the, the big firms out of San Francisco create this for us? Or are we gonna see the hospital systems work on this and truly create a solution that, that, <clears throat> that the government is kind of, is, is putting out there? Um, and I think that there's so much technology out there and, and we need to start to, to utilize it. Even when we sat down to do this virtual command center, there wasn't a single piece of tech that we had to be like, oh, we need to go out and create this. It was all out there. 
Um, and, I, and, and we want to start seeing it. And, and I think uh, a lot of the hospitals have, the bigger hospitals have kind of put in these innovation hubs, per se, into their hospitals to allow vendors to come and test these technologies and see how it works and things like that. So I, I think the future and, and, and the innovation is, is it's, it's limitless. And, it, and, and, it, and we, we just need to get the adoption and the execution better. So kind of the, the last question for you is, is, is a leader in healthcare helping us on this digital journey? We, we're all shaped by other people and experiences and education, but we all kind of have some, you know, these are our go-to one or two things that kind of drive us every day, whether they're sayings or principles or whatever it is. So what are your one or two, maybe three things that really every day you go, here are the things I live by? Yeah. Be punctual, be on time, uh, uh, be willing to learn and, and work hard. Those are the three things that we, uh, we emphasize here at Remedy over and over. And those are the only three things I ask for. Um, and I think if you get those three things, the sky's the limit. Yeah. I, I, I don't even know who said the quote once. I heard this one thing is no one's ever gone hungry showing up on time and working hard. Um, and so, <laughs> no, that's, that's great. You know, again, sometimes simplicity is the right answer. And, and those are all three things that, that truly are the things that, that are core to people's success. And so with that being said, uh, Sonny, again, such an amazing time we got to spend together. I appreciate so much you sharing some of your wisdom, some of your learnings, and, and again, just so being willing to, to share uh, as a leader in our industry. And uh, even if a little bit of it, it might be in some of your trade secret there, you know, the, the secret really is you as a leader in your organization. So thank you again for being on our program. Well, thank you. Thank you, Ross. Thank you, Chime, for having me. Well, thank you to our listeners for listening to this episode of our Leader to Leader podcast program. As always, you can find us on chimecentral.org forward slash media or listen to any of our programs on Apple or Spotify. For now, especially as we see the COVID pandemic continuing to get worse, please take care, stay safe, stay home if you can. If you don't wear your mask, be safe and God bless.